Curtain going up. Curtain going up. Places, please. Overture, stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. Welcome back, everybody. I apologize in advance. I am sick, but I wanted to get this out to you guys. This is episode two. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story. A story in approximately eight months worth of information. So it is a long podcast. I'm going to just let you know in advance. And I know it's long because I've actually already recorded it once and accidentally deleted it. So... I'm going to go ahead and head into our discussion. I I want to go ahead and put this out there also. If you were someone who disliked Donald Trump, you did not vote for him, you do not think that he should be the president of the United States, I think you will find this podcast particularly enlightening. Enlightening because you were told, I'm sure, by media outlets that you follow, politicians that you look up to possibly or at least favor that this president colluded with Russia and helped interfere in our 2016 election and that he is a Russian asset and that Russia, 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 Russia. Unfortunately, we have come to find out in the most recent dropping of the Inspector General's report by Michael Horowitz that none of that was true that the information that you were fed and told was a lie. And I am going to map it out for you starting in March of 2016 leading up to the election and give you a timeline of events that not only are what are written in the Inspector General's report, but give you kind of an outside influence look at what was going on with other moving pieces throughout the world. So buckle up, grab a pen and paper because... There's a lot of information if you, I mean, if you want to, you know, take some notes and just kind of be like, hey, Rachel Maydow, why did you lie to me the entire time? Anyway, I digress. Okay, starting on March 2nd of 2016, Carter Page, who was an American petroleum consultant and was a foreign policy advisor to Donald Trump, um, he was named publicly on March 2nd by candidate at the time, Donald Trump, as a campaign advisor. He was interviewed by the FBI in their New York field office in preparation for a trial of an indicted Russian intelligence officer in the Evgeny Burakov case. So Evgeny Burakov is a convicted Russian spy who posed as a Russian banker. That same day, the FBI's New York field office counterintelligence squad supervisor called the counter espionage section of the FBI's counterintelligence division at headquarters to request permission to open an investigation into Carter Page. So he is helping the FBI with one case while they're opening a case on him in another. Also in early March of 2016, we don't know exactly when, Fusion GPS, which is a commercial research and intelligence firm who does opposition research in political campaigns, approaches Perkins Coy, which is the law firm that was used by the um, Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee, so Fusion GPS approaches Perkins Coy 
expressing an interest in an, quote, engagement, according to an email um, response letter. I, no, I'm sorry. In court, according to an October 24th response letter by Perkins Coy. So they were reaching out to say, hey, we'd like you to contract us to do opposition research on Donald Trump. On March 9th, a discovery is made that outside contractors for the FBI had been accessing raw FISA data since at least 2015. NSA Director Mike Rogers would direct the NSA's Office of Compliance to conduct a, quote, fundamental baseline review of compliance associated with 702 at some point in early April of 2016. So, who is Mike Rogers? He is a former Navy admiral who was serving as the director of the NSA, and he did so for nine years. And this also talks about 702. And a 702, it's really important because this kind of sets the tone for this entire, uh, for lack of better terminology, shit show. So 702 is a surveillance authority that passed as part of the FISA Amendments Act in 2008. That is supposed to provide foreign intel on non-Americans located outside of the U.S. So it's really important that you remember that throughout all of this. 702 is the FISA Amendment in 2008 that provides the opportunity to essentially spy on non-Americans outside of the country, okay? So on March 14th, the CIA director, John Brennan, travels to Moscow and meets with Russia's Federal Intelligence Agency, which is also, they're called the Federal Security Service. About seven days later, March 21st, Carter Page and George Papadopoulos are named officially as part of Trump's foreign policy team. Also later, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn is also serving as a foreign policy advisor by this time. On March 24th, a DNC operative, Alexandra Chalupa, shared concerns regarding Trump, Republican strategist Paul Manafort, and their alleged ties to Russia with Valerie Shalley or Shalee or however you say her name who is the Ukrainian ambassador to the United States. Now, Alexandra Chalupa is a co-chair of the DNC Ethnic Council, as well as a pro-Ukrainian activist. Paul Manafort was a former lobbyist, political consultant, lawyer, and a Republican campaign consultant, as well as a Trump chair for two months. He, he was on the Trump campaign for two months. On March 28th, so four days after Tulupa shares these concerns with uh, the Ukrainian ambassador to the United States, Manafort is hired by the Trump campaign. The next day, Tulupa briefs the DNC staff on Paul Manafort, Donald Trump, and quote, their alleged ties to Russia. On March 31st, a Trump campaign advisor, George Papadopoulos, attends a national security meeting in Washington with Trump and other foreign policy advisors. According to a Department of Justice release, Papadopoulos stated he, quote, had connections that could help arrange a meeting between then-candidate Trump and President Putin. So he announced this inside of a national security meeting. In April, no specific date given, Perkins Coy hires Fusion GPS to perform a, quote, variety of research services during the 2016 election cycle, unquote, according to an October 24th letter from Perkins Coy. In April, 
Perkins Coy, the law firm representing the Hillary Clinton campaign, hired Fusion GPS, the intelligence opposition research firm, for, quote, services. April 1st, the FBI's New York field office receives permission to open a redacted, likely espionage investigation of Carter Page. Also in early April, NSA Director Rogers directs the agency's Office of Compliance to conduct a, quote, fundamental baseline review of compliance associated with 702, according to a declassified FISA court ruling. In addition, also in early April, the FBI's New York field office opens a counterintelligence redacted, likely espionage investigation of Carter Page. Despite Page's role within the Trump campaign, the investigation is not designated as a sensitive investigative matter. On April 18th, Rogers shuts down all FBI outside contractor access. At this point, both the FBI and the DOJ's National Security Division likely become aware of Rogers' compliance review. On that same day, the DNC is allegedly hacked by Russia, according to the committees. April 26th, investigative reporter Michael Isakoff. So Michael Isakoff is an, quote, and I use this quote lightly, American investigative journalist and chief investigative correspondent at Yahoo News. He writes a story for Yahoo News about Paul Manafort's business dealings with Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska. Oleg Deripaska is a Russian oligarch and industrialist. He's the founder of Basic Element, which is one of Russia's largest industrial groups. And then he also founded, um, it's called Valno Dello, which is Russia's largest charitable foundation. And a May 3rd email would reveal that Isakov had been working with DNC operative Alexandra Chalupa the entire time. Remember, Alexandra Chalupa is the co-chair of the DNC Ethnic Council, and she's also a pro-Ukrainian activist. On April 26th, Maltese professor Joseph Mifsud tells Papadopoulos that the Russians, quote, had dirt on the Clintons in form of thousands of emails. Joseph Mifsud, very little information on this guy. Apparently at one point in time he was an ambassador, but most of the information just says, quote, a Maltese professor. I think he's uh, some sort of operative, CIA, something along those lines. just because there's so little information about him for him to have played such a crucial role in a lot of this and you'll see that down the road the next day on april 27th a director's briefing at fbi headquarters is held regarding carter page and the new york field office's investigation of him so on april 27th is when james comey was notified of the carter page situation on april 28th alexandra chalupa appears on a panel to discuss her research on Paul Manafort with a group of 68 Ukrainian investigative journalists gathered at the Library of Congress for a program sponsored by a U.S. congressional agency called the Open World Leadership Center. Appearing with her on April 28th was Michael Isakoff, with whom she was apparently working and she had invited. And this was revealed in a May 3rd email that Alexandra Chalupa sent to Luis Miranda, um, who is the communications director of the DNC. The reason we found out about that is because that was posted by WikiLeaks. So also in late April, the DNC IT staff allegedly detect access to the DNC network by unauthorized users. The DNC CEO at the time, Amy Dacey, spoke with Michael Sussman, 
who is a DNC lawyer and partner at Perkins Coy, Sussman contacts Sean Henry, who is the CSO and president of CrowdStrike Services. Michael Sussman is the senior partner at Perkins Coy Law Firm, and Sean Henry is the president of CrowdStrike Services and former executive assistant director of the FBI. That, that gets left out a lot of this. So CrowdStrike, who is an independent company, but is headed and the president is the former executive assistant director of the FBI. So that's important to remember. So in late April, CrowdStrike is brought in to investigate the alleged hack of the DNC server and is, to this day, the only entity that was allowed access to the physical server. In late April, DNC IT staff report the suspected hack to the FBI, but they refuse to grant agents access. James Comey later testified that the FBI did request access to the DNC server, but they were denied by the DNC. On April 30th, Peter Strzok, Peter Strzok is the FBI's former chief of counter-espionage and led the FBI investigation into Hillary Clinton's illegal server. Peter Strzok sends a message, a text message, to Lisa Page saying, quote, And now we've switched from the Patriot Act to a wire-carrying current. It remains unclear whether this comment is related to the Trump campaign. That spring, FBI Director James Comey and Deputy Director Andrew McCabe discussed the investigation of Carter Page with Attorney General Loretta Lynch and provide her with information indicating that Russian intelligence reportedly planned to use Carter Page for information and to develop other contacts in the United States. This is according to the Inspector General's report. Lynch would later recount this meeting to Inspector General Michael Horowitz. Comey and McCabe, however, would both claim they do not recall this conversation. So Lisa Page, going back real quick, she is a former FBI lawyer and lover to Peter Strzok. Andrew McCabe was the deputy deputy director of the FBI from February of 2016 to January of 2018. Loretta Lynch was the attorney general from 2015 to 2017. She was, I mean, the attorney general is the main legal advisor to the government. And then uh, I've explained Michael Horowitz was the inspector general of the Department of Justice. He was sworn in in April of 2012. Okay, so early May... George Papadopoulos, foreign advisor for Donald Trump's campaign at this point, meets with Australian High Commissioner to the United Kingdom, Alexander Downer. I learned a little bit of information, which I thought that was kind of cool. Alexander Downer, first of all, real quick, he's a former Australian politician, and the high commissioner thing, it's similar to a diplomat. It's based off of whether or not your country at one point in time was the Commonwealth of Britain. So... He was the High Commissioner to the UK from 2014 to 2018. So Papadopoulos meets with Australian High Commissioner to the UK, Alexander Downer. During the meeting, Papadopoulos allegedly tells Downer that the Russians had information that could be damaging to Clinton. Remember, that information came from Joseph Mifsud. So later on in May, the FBI pays the consulting firm of former British MI6 agent Christopher Steele $15,000 for services rendered from July of 2015 to February of 2016. In May also, Fusion GPS co-founder Glenn Simpson meets Christopher Steele at a European airport and inquires, quote, whether Steele could assist in determining Russia's actions related to the 2016 elections, as well as whether candidate Donald Trump had any personal 
and business ties in Russia, according to the Inspector General's report. So remember, Perkins Coy, firm representing Hillary Clinton's campaign, hires Fusion GPS to investigate or do opposition research. So Fusion GPS has reached out to a former foreign spy, Christopher Steele, to to provide information on the 2016 election and Donald Trump. On May 3rd, an email is sent that reveals Alexander Chalupa had been working with Yahoo News reporter Iskov for the past several weeks. On May 25th, Evgeny Birakov, he's the guy that Carter Page was helping with the investigation, Russian intelligence officer who poses a Russian banker, is sentenced to 30 months in prison for being an unregistered Russian intelligence agent. On May 30th, Nellie Orr, oh, I wanted to go back real quick, I'm so sorry, and talk about Christopher Steele for just a second. Christopher Steele is a British former intelligence official for MI6. He ran the Russian desk between 2006 and 2009. In 2009, he co-founded Orbis Business Intelligence. Glenn Simpson, who is the co-founder of Fusion GPS, was a former journalist for the Wall Street Journal. And now we're on to Nellie Orr, who is a, quote, Russia specialist who worked for Fusion GPS. So Nellie Orr sends an email to her husband, Bruce Orr, who at the time was the former associate, well, at the time he was, the associate deputy attorney general. So he was right under Loretta Lynch. He's a DOJ official. Nellie sends an email to her husband, Bruce, along with three other DOJ employees, Lisa Holton, Ivana Nizich, and Joe Wheatley. Lisa Holton is a senior intelligence advisor in the Organized Crime Division. Ivana Nizich and Joe Wheatley are both DOJ prosecutors. Nellie's email alerts officials within the DOJ the existence of the alleged Ukrainian Black Ledger months before the news actually reached a national level. So that Black Ledger was its Ukrainian papers that talked about, it. specifically, I think where this really blew up was with Paul Manafort and his um, business dealings with Ukraine. A lot of the information that's in that Black Ledger, though, has since been debunked by the FBI. Again, we're receiving foreign intel, Ukrainian papers, and using that in our intelligence gathering. In that summer, or in the summer sometime, Robert Hannigan, who's the head of the UK's GCHQ, GCHQ is the government communications headquarters. They are an intelligence and security organization that's responsible for providing intelligence and information to the government and the military of the United Kingdom. Travels to Washington to meet with um, John Brennan, member director of CIA, regarding alleged communications between the Trump campaign and Moscow. Around that same time, John Brennan forms an interagency task force, which is where you start combining you know, different organizations so that the information flow is better. The FBI, the Department of Treasury, and the Department of Justice were handling the domestic inquiry into Trump's Russia connections. The CIA, Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and the NSA would handle foreign intelligence aspects. So also in June, Glenn Simpson's firm, Fusion GPS, officially hires Christopher Steele to investigate Russia's involvement in the 2016 election as well as presidential candidate Trump. Steele would produce a number of memos for the firm. Now we've got a law firm hiring an opposition research firm who hired a former MI6 agent to investigate a potential presidential candidate. June 9th, Simpson meets with Natalia Veselnitskaya before and after her meeting with Trump Jr. at Trump Tower. 
So remember that meeting that where everybody talked about Donald Trump Jr. met with the Russians in Trump Tower? That was this huge, big ordeal. So Glenn Simpson, who is the head of Fusion GPS, meets with the woman who went into Trump Tower before and after she left. The people who were present at that meeting were Paul Manafort, Jared Kushner, and Renat Akhmetshin, uh, who's a Russian lobbyist. Russian-American lobbyist, and former Soviet counterintelligence officer. So that guy, Natalia Veselnitskaya, are meeting in Trump Tower with these individuals. Five days later, CrowdStrike produces a report on the malware that was found in the DNC server during an investigation in May of 2016, stating that evidence suggests the malware was injected by the Russians. That very next day... Guccifer 2.0, which is a hacker, claims that he, not Russia, hacked the DNC. As proof, Guccifer releases the full opposition report on, at that time, then-candidate Trump. And the very next day, FBI agent Strzok changes wording in Comey's exoneration statement for Hillary Clinton from grossly negligent to extremely careless. I want to go back real quick on the Natalia Veselnitskaya. She is a Russian lawyer who originally the meeting was was touted as being dirt on Hillary Clinton. That's how it was presented and that's how and I mean so far we've seen already the whole point of of any of this so far has been to get dirt on Donald Trump and his campaign. So to be told, hey, we've got some dirt on Hillary Clinton, I'd take that meeting. I, I'm being 100% honest. If you're going to give me research or information on my opponent, I'm going to sit down and hear what you have to say. Turns out in that meeting, the only reason that she was there was to advocate for this adoption program. It had nothing to do with Hillary Clinton. So, I mean, they established that it wasn't. And this particular Russian lawyer has since been charged with money laundering. So it's important to know that, too, when we talk about the the ethics and the these individuals that we're dealing with. So we're back to June 15th. FBI agent Strzok changed the wording in James Comey's exoneration statement for Hillary Clinton from quote, grossly negligent to, quote, extremely careless. It's important for for everyone to know that. Why was Agent Strzok changing wording in the director of the FBI's language and exoneration statement? How does that happen? How do you look at somebody who's essentially your subordinate and th- allow them to change your document that you're getting ready to go on national television to read? Whatever. On June 20th, Christopher Steele produces his first memo, which notes, quote, a dossier of compromising information on Hillary Clinton has been collated by the Russian intelligence services. Steele sends it to Fusion GPS via encrypted mail. On June 27th, Attorney General Loretta Lynch has a secret meeting with Bill Clinton on a tarmac in Phoenix, Arizona. So three days later, on June 30th, Ukraine's Anti-Corruption Bureau and the FBI formally enter into an understanding that allows for an FBI office to operate on site. It's important to note that they did not want that information to go public. They actually went to court in 2008. 18 to try to prevent the release of that information. In early July, on the IG report, there's a footnote that it talks about sensitive source reporting from June of 2017. It indicates that 
Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska was aware of Steele's election-related work as of early July of 2016, which it's kind of interesting because the note is from June of 2017, but... I I don't know if they went back and retroactively made the note. I can't really figure that out because as of July of 2016 is when Deripaska became aware. So on July 2nd, Strzok interviews Hillary Clinton. This is part of that mid-year exam investigation. Three days later, the FBI officially closes its investigation of Hillary Clinton over her use of a private email server while serving as Secretary of State. That same day, FBI agent Michael Gaeta, who in the Inspector General's report is described as, quote, handling Agent 1, meets with Christopher Steele in London and obtains Steele's first memo. It is important, though, to remember that Memo 1 from Christopher Steele actually had nothing to do with Donald Trump or his campaign. It was an a note that said a dossier of compromising information on Hillary Clinton has been collated by the Russian intelligence services. So it actually had to do with Hillary Clinton, not with Donald Trump. So that's even more interesting on how the FBI got involved. So Michael Gaeta meets with Steele, gets the first memo, and Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs, Victoria Newland, she grants the permission for this trip and also gains access to the first Steele memo. So an Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs grants permission for Michael Gaeta, the FBI agent, to go meet with Christopher Steele, and she also gets access to that memo at that time. Also in early July, the State Department obtains a copy of the first Steele report. Newland publicly stated during an interview in 2018 that Steele's election reporting was first provided to the State Department in July of 2016. July 7th to July 8th, Carter Page actually visits Moscow. He gives a speech titled Future of the World Economy, and that following day, he gives a commencement speech at the new economic school in Moscow. On July 11th, Carter Page attends a symposium in London with Stefan Halper. Stefan Halper is an American foreign policy scholar. He's a senior fellow at the University of Cambridge, and Eventually, as you'll see as this goes on, he becomes an informant for the FBI. In addition to those two people also attending that symposium is Madeleine Albright, Vin Weber, and the former MI6 head, Sir Richard Dearlove. Uh, Madeleine Albright is the former Secretary of State during the Bill Clinton administration. Vin Weber is a former Republican congressman who is now a lobbyist. He uh, quit his lobbying firm in August of 2019, I think, because he was suspected of having Ukrainian dealings. He was wrapped up in that whole Paul Manafort situation. I think in December, he was rehired by that same lobbyist firm. So he is currently lobbying in Washington. Sir Richard Dearlove, as I said, he's the former head of British Secret Intelligence Service. So Halper stays in contact with Carter Page until the final FISA expired. In July of or on July 13th, um, Agent Gaeta contacts an assistant special agent in charge, which is called an ASAC, at, and in the Inspector General's report, this person is treated as, quote, ASAC-1. Contacted at the New York field office regarding the Steele report, ASAC-1 reports the matter to the special agent in charge that same day. ASAC-1's notes say, quote, closely track the contents of report 80, 
Report 80 is Steele's first memo, I think. Identify Simpson, Glenn Simpson, as a client of a law firm, Perkins Coy, and include the following. Law firm works for, it says the Republican Party or Hillary. I think it means the Democratic Party, but maybe not. Maybe this is how John McCain ties into all of this. I still haven't figured that out yet. And we'll use the information described in Report 80 at some point. That was on July 13th. That same day, another FBI agent from a different field office sends an email to his supervisor noting that he had been contacted by a former confidential human source who was in turn contacted by Steele. This event, or this particular situation, might have been referenced twice in the Inspector General's report on July 13th and in late July. Not sure if they're tied together. In mid-July, Carter Page meets with Stefan Halper, who now has become an FBI source and is described in the Inspector General's report as, quote, source two, and asks him to be part of the Trump foreign policy team. Carter Page does not know that Halper is a source for the FBI at this point in time. Later that summer, Christopher Steele receives a call from Strobe Talbot. Strobe Talbot is a foreign policy analyst with Yale, is a former journalist with Time Magazine, and is a former diplomat. He was the Deputy Secretary of State from 1994 to 2001. And at the time that he reached out to Steele, he was the head of the Brookings Institution. And it's Talbot served as Deputy Secretary of State in the Clinton administration. So according to UK court testimony from Christopher Steele, Talbot indicated he had learned of Steele's work through either State Department official Victoria Newland or National Security Advisor Susan Rice. Susan Rice has publicly denied this. Let's talk about who Susan Rice is real quick. She's the former National Security Advisor to Barack Obama. She was a UN ambassador from 2009 to 2013, and she's a known pathological liar. She's the one that came out and told everybody, hey, the whole reason that Benghazi happened was because of a video, which we now know that that was a complete farce. Okay, so Susan Rice has denied it. Cody Shearer, who is a political activist, a freelance writer, and a longtime friend of the Clintons, and also is Talbot's brother-in-law, would later create two steel-like memos that State Department employee Jonathan Weiner provided to Christopher Steele, who in turn provided them to the FBI. If your head is spinning at this point, it should be. Jonathan Weiner's the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for International Law Enforcement and a special former special envoy for Libya during the uh, Obama administration. Isn't it funny how all these Obama, Hillary people just keep getting involved here? I digress. Uh, General Flynn took a trip to Russia and it's first brought to attention on July 18th during a live interview at the RNC with... Uh, Shocker, Isakoff. On July 19th, Donald Trump officially becomes the Republican presidential nominee. On that same day, Christopher Steele produces a memo stating that Carter Page met with Rosneft Chief Igor Sechin and senior Kremlin official Igor Dyevkin during his Moscow trip. So remember when he went to Moscow July 7th to the 8th. Now Steele has produced a memo stating that he met with these two individuals. So let's talk about who these two individuals are. Igor Sechin is a Russian oligarch and government official considered to be very close to Vladimir Putin. 
He's a, quote, collector of intelligence or security services agents. So it sounds to me like he acquires people who have retired or have been known in the intelligence community and brings them in to work for the Kremlin. Um, Igor Dievkin is a former Russian security official, and he now serves as deputy chief for internal policy. So it's... It is reported by Christopher Steele on this date, the day that Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, that Carter Page met with these two individuals. It's important to remember this particular note or memo that Steele produced because this particular report is one of the reports that the FBI relied upon to actually support the probable cause in the Carter Page FISA applications. Steele's primary subsource later stated that he had told Christopher Steele he had heard of a rumor of this meeting. Steele's memo does not indicate that it was a rumor, but rather states it as fact. So there was no corroboration. There was nobody that said, yes, we saw Carter Page meet with these individuals. The FBI didn't think to look into it. Nobody actually investigated whether or not Steele's reporting was factual. It's very important to remember. So three days later, on July 22nd, WikiLeaks actually releases the hacked emails from the DNC. July 24th, Clinton campaign manager Robbie Mook suggests the Russian government is behind the release of the DNC emails. So there's no proof of that. They just say that. That's what they suspect. Um, July 26th, Carter Page is contacted by a Wall Street Journal reporter about allegations contained in the Steele report about him. So remember, on July 19th, the day that Donald Trump officially became the Republican nominee is the day that Christopher Steele produced the memo stating that Carter Page met with these individuals. So July 19th is when that was created. July 26th, so seven days later, Carter Page is contacted by a journalist to ask about the allegations contained in the report. The question that I would have at this point is, how did the Wall Street Journal get a hold of a report that just came out and was given to the FBI seven days ago? So did somebody in the FBI leak that to the Wall Street Journal? I don't know. On July 26th, Australian diplomat Downer informs Elizabeth Dibble, who is currently the COO for the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, She, at the time, is my understanding, she was the Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs at the U.S. Embassy in London. So, Downer reaches out to her and says, and informs her of the conversation that he had May of um, 16, the conversation that he had with Papadopoulos. I'm not sure what, what provoked Downer to reach out two months later to Elizabeth Dibble at the embassy in London to talk about his conversation with George Papadopoulos. I, I don't know why you wait two months to have that conversation, but whatever. Same day, Steele produces another memo alleging an extensive Russian government hacking operation. Okay, aren't they always trying to hack us? Like, is that really that big of a deal? I don't know. July 27th, Donald Trump invokes Russia at a press conference jokingly saying, Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. That same day, when Donald Trump made the joke, Elizabeth Dibble calls the FBI's legal attache office to relay the information provided by Downer. My guess is that when she was told by by Downer on the 26th, she's like, eh, whatever. Then Trump comes out and makes a joke, and she's like, wait a minute, he said Russia, I probably should make a phone call. So... 
That next day, that legal attache sends a communication documenting the information provided by Downer to the assistant special agent in charge at the Philadelphia field office. On that same day, that communication is emailed to Charles McGonigal. He is the section chief of the Cyber Counterintelligence Coordination Section at FBI headquarters. Charles McGonigal would later be appointed to the special agent in charge of the Counterintelligence Division of the FBI in the field office in New York, and he was appointed by James Comey in October of 2016. So, Bill Priestap, oh, I'm sorry, that same day, Bill Priestap, who at that time was the head of FBI's counterintelligence division, and Tricia Anderson, a principal deputy general counsel at the FBI, briefed Deputy Director McCabe on the information from Alexander Downer. According to the IG report, Anderson described the information as, quote, really disturbing. So Bill Priestap is an intelligence official. He's the former assistant director of the FBI counterintelligence division and served in that position from 2015 to 2018. Tricia Anderson is a national security and cybersecurity lawyer and the former deputy counsel with the Office of General Counsel in the FBI. So then that same day, so a lot happened on July 28th in case you can't tell. That same day, Gata, the handling agent for Christopher Steele, sends two more reports written by him to the assistant special agent in charge in the New York field office, who then forwarded them to the special agent in charge. There's just special agents all over the place. He notes in an email to the FBI supervisor that according to Steele, the first two reports, quote, may already be circulating at a high level in D.C. So I guess Steele was then alluding that, I, I don't know, it's when I see these communications and these conversations, it's just like, so what is Steele doing at this point? He's letting them know, hey, I'm actually leaking the same information I'm giving to you to the press. Because that's the only way I can think of that Steele's report landed in the hands of the Wall Street Journal as of July, between July 19th and July 26th. And honestly, shame on the Wall Street Journal for bringing up a subject that they did absolutely no research on before they brought it up. Back to July 29th. According to notes made by Andrew McCabe, the senior FBI leadership, including James Comey, discuss information from Alexander Downer, as well as Carter Page and Trump campaign chairman Manafort during a morning meeting. McCabe later told the inspector general that he did not recall this discussion. In late July, Christopher Steele and Glenn Simpson, remember Fusion GPS, meet with an attorney from Perkins Coy, which, remember, is the firm representing the DNC. According to UK court documents, Sussman tells Steele of allegations regarding potential communications between a server in Trump Tower and a server at Alpha Bank. Steele would include certain allegations regarding, regarding Alpha Bank. And Alpha Bank, I think it's important to talk about who some of these agencies and these companies are and these groups and all this stuff, but Alpha Bank is one of the largest private commercial banks in Russia. And I keep referencing Sussman. Michael Sussman, remember, is the senior partner at Perkins Coy Law Firm. So let me just reiterate that one more time for you guys. So a lawyer who's representing Hillary Clinton and the DNC is introducing allegations regarding communications between a server in Trump Tower and a server at Alpha Bank. This isn't information that was introduced by Russia. This isn't information that was introduced by Christopher Steele. This is information that was introduced by a law firm that is representing the DNC to a foreign agent 
Christopher Steele, who then includes that information in a memo, which interesting, interestingly enough, in the memo, he actually misspells alpha as A-L-P-H-A instead of A-L-F-A, which should have been a dead giveaway that he didn't actually know what he was talking about and he was relaying source information, not his own information. But apparently Sussman, the attorney from Perkins Coy, also gives these allegations to FBI General Counsel James Baker in September. Ooh, things are getting interesting. Okay, so in late July, a what they call CHS, which is Confidential Human Source, Criminal Informant, Confidential Informant, whatever. One of those people who doesn't actually work for the FBI, but wants to work for the FBI, contacts an FBI agent in an unknown field office. This is unknown because they didn't disclose it. This Source contacts the field office regarding Steele's reporting. The confidential human source who appears to have meaningful knowledge of Steele's and Fusion GPS's activities gives the FBI a list of, quote, individuals and entities who have surfaced in the Fusion GPS's examination. In mid-September, McCabe told SSA-1 to instruct the FBI agent from this field office to no longer have any further contact with this former CHS and do not accept any information regarding the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. And of course, McCabe would tell the Inspector General he did not remember giving those instructions. Man, I'm telling you what, for Andrew McCabe to have been the Deputy Director of the FBI for two years, I am a little bit scared at the fact that he never remembers anything. Around that same time, McCabe learned from James Comey that another U.S. government agency had already briefed President Obama on intelligence that the agency had suggesting that Russian intelligence services was engaged in covert actions to, quote, influence the U.S. presidential election in favor of Trump. That agency is likely to be the CIA. It's not proven. That's not stated anywhere. I just don't know how it could have been anybody else. On July 30th, Christopher Steele produces a memo alleging an eight-year-long Russian effort to cultivate Trump and that the Kremlin is worried of political fallout from the DNC email hack. I I guess Christopher Steele and the Kremlin are BFFs. Um, Eight-year-long Russian effort to cultivate Trump. I just, I can't see how at this point in time nobody thought to say, man, eight years long? That's a long time. There should be a whole lot of information we could find to support that allegation. I guess nobody at the FBI ever thought about actually looking into that. On July 30th, Bruce Orr meets with Christopher Steele and then reaches out to Andrew McCabe following that meeting with Steele. And this is according to Orr's testimony before Congress, which, again, let's go back. How does Bruce Orr know about Christopher Steele? Oh, because his wife works for Fusion GPS, who's getting information from Steele. So she's feeding information to her husband. So her husband reaches out and meets with him and then follows up with the FBI. So just just keep keep thinking about how these people are playing roles and how this information is being used. July 31st, the Crossfire Hurricane counterintelligence investigation into the Trump campaign is officially opened by Strzok. The investigation is authorized by Bill Priestap in the FBI Counterintelligence Division. 
Don't forget, John Brennan, he sends an intelligence report to President Barack Obama and three senior Barack Obama advisors. Brennan's report, according to the Washington Post, is drawn from sourcing deep inside the Russian government that detailed Russian President Vladimir Putin's direct involvement in a cyber campaign. On August 1st, FBI agents Strzok and Joe Pienka traveled to London to interview Alexander Downer regarding his meeting with George Papadopoulos. According to the Inspector General's report, they learned that Papadopoulos did not say that he had direct contact with the Russian, and Papadopoulos did not specify any other individual who received the Russian suggestion. So, again, going back to he didn't have contact with the Russian. He talked to Joseph Mifsud, who said Russians had dirt on Clinton. So, they, on August 1st, Strzok and Joe Pienka find this information out that Papadopoulos never actually had contact with Russians. On August 1st, also same day, the Crossfire Staff Operations Specialist prepares an attachment titled, quote, Carter Page Profile for Case Agent 1 Stephen Soma. This file includes statements that Carter Page made to the FBI about his contact with another U.S. government agency, likely the CIA. This file was not provided to the Office of Intelligence. On August 2nd, FBI officials verbally notified Department of Justice officials at the DOJ's National Security Division. This included Deputy Assistant Attorney General George Toskis, Deputy Assistant Attorney General Adam Hickey, and CES Section Chief David Laufman. So David Laufman, I think it's important to note, he is the former chief of the National Security Division's Counterintelligence Division, and he is also the Justice Department official who helped oversee the Clinton and the Russia probes. He stepped down in February of 2018. They notified them about the Crossfire Hurricane counterintelligence investigation and identified the four members of the Trump campaign whom the FBI claims have ties to Russia. Notably, the FBI specifically does not notify the National Security Division Deputy Assistant Attorney General Stu Evans, who was the person within the DOJ who was in charge of the entire FISA process. So I think it's important to note and understand and remember and think about the individuals who not only were given information, but the in- individuals who were excluded from receiving said information. And on or about that same day, a supervisor of the counterintelligence division shares information about Christopher Steele that had been provided in late July by a confidential human source with Jonathan Maffa. Jonathan Maffa is, at that time, the FBI Deputy Assistant Director in the Counterintelligence Division. He also worked on the Hillary email investigation, as well as the Trump investigation. He then provides that information to Strzok, Pienka, and the supervisory intel analyst on that same day. This is the same source with whom McCabe would forbid contact later in mid-September. On August 3rd, an FBI meeting is held at the FBI's New York field office after copies of Steele's reports were shared by Gata with the assistant special agent in charge in July of 2000, in July 28. On August 3rd, Bruce Orr contacts Gata asking him if he had seen Steele's report and whether the FBI was doing anything with them. Gata tells Orr that FBI headquarters is aware of Steele's reporting and is addressing it. So again, there's some conflicting information, and I stated this a while ago, but I don't know if I really reiterated what I'm saying. So 
Bruce Orr testified in front of Congress. His testimony doesn't necessarily fit with some of the information that is in the Inspector General's report. So according to his testimony, he met with, on or about August 3rd, he met with Andrew McCabe and Lisa Page in McCabe's office regarding his breakfast meeting with Steele. This is according to his testimony. The Inspector General report states that the Inspector General believes Orr only met with McCabe once in October of 2016. So either McCabe is lying or Orr is lying to the Inspector General. Lisa Page would testify before Congress that she had never even heard of Steele until mid-September when the Crossfire Hurricane team received the first six memos from the Steele dossier. On August 4th, Bruce Orr meets with Deputy Assistant Attorney General Bruce Swartz regarding information contained in the Steele reports. Notably, Orr does not inform his boss, which is Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates, or any official at her office. Same day, Gata emails Steele's reports to the Associate Division Counsel at the New York Field Office. He's told that the file will be, quote, walled off from agents at the New York Field Office and that the Assistant Director in Charge of the Office and the Executive Assistant Director level at FBI Headquarters were aware of the report's existence. Michael Steinbach was the Executive Assistant Director at this time. Two days later, on August 6th, Lisa Page, who is working on the Crossfire Hurricane Counterintelligence Investigation, texts Peter Strzok, and Trump should go fuck himself. Two days later, she also texts Strzok and says, Trump's not ever going to become president, right? Right? Strzok replies, no. No, he won't. We'll stop it. And why is this relevant? Like, why am I reading you text messages from two FBI agents? Well, they're working on an investigation regarding a potential president and at the time presidential candidate for the United States of America. They are FBI officials, regardless of their personal feelings towards the president, under no circumstances should an FBI agent, especially a lead agent in charge, like, let's be serious, Peter Strzok was no, like, peon at the FBI, should not be saying, we'll stop it. Like, how does, how does an FBI agent objectively approach his job while still texting his lover, no, we'll stop it. We'll stop it from happening. You, you can't stop a president from becoming president. It's just, you can't do that. Ugh, moving forward, two days later, Case Agent 1 receives an email containing an attachment titled Carter Page Profile, which, as I said before, had been prepared on August 1st. The profile contains Carter Page's statements about working for another agency, likely the CIA. Same day. FBI Crossfire Hurricane Team opens a FARA investigation. FARA is Foreign Agent Registration Act. FARA investigation of Carter Page resulting in the transfer of the espionage investigation of Page from the New York field office to FBI headquarters. And I really think, I mean, I don't think that Carter Page at any given point in time should have had to register as a foreign agent. And I think that the reason that this investigation, this FARA investigation was opened was to force the case from the New York field office to FBI headquarters, as well as to give them the opportunity to file for an actual FISA warrant, which is for foreign intel. That's just my 
personal speculation. I don't know if that's true or not. On August 10th, in addition to the Page investigation, the FBI also opens counterintelligence fair cases on Paul Manafort and George Papadopoulos. The FBI would open a counterintelligence case on Michael Flynn a little bit later, like six days later on August 16th. Also on August 10th, Andrew McCabe's notes state that Sally Yates was briefed on the Papadopoulos information. Comey, McCabe, and Yates would all tell Inspector General Horowitz they do not recall this conversation despite the existence of McCabe's notes. These people have horrible memories. On August 11th, the DOJ National Security Division officials have a second meeting with the FBI on Crossfire Hurricane. I'm sure that was prompted by Bruce Orr, who was very interested to know what was going on with this investigation. On August 11th, Case Agent 1, which as we now know is Stephen Soma, Case Agent 2, and a staff operations specialist meet with Stefan Halper. Halper tells the FBI that he met Carter Page in mid-July and has known Manafort for a number of years. He also notifies them that he had previously been acquainted with General Flynn. Halper says that he had never heard of Papadopoulos. On August 15th, Soma emails a written summary on Carter Page to the OGC unit chief. Soma believes that the information in his email is sufficient to obtain a FISA warrant to spy on Carter Page. On August 15th, James Comey receives his first, quote, formal briefing. So he's known about this the entire time, but he received a formal briefing on the information from Downer on George Papadopoulos. Andrew McCabe previously informed him, as we said, on July 29th of the Downer meeting. But this was, I guess, his everything in the FBI has to do with formalities. So documentation, all of that stuff. This is his formal notification. So on that same day, Peter Strzok sends the infamous, quote, insurance policy text referencing Andrew McCabe and Trump to Lisa Page. I'm afraid we can't take that risk. It's like an insurance policy in the unlikely event you die before you're 40. On August 15th, Soma requests FISA authority on Carter Page. On August 16th, the unit chief of the FBI's Office of General Counsel contacts Stu Evans at the National Security Division to request FISA authority on Carter Page. Remember, Stu was not included in the other information earlier. Interestingly enough, in mid-August, Gaeta, the handling agent for Christopher Steele, reaches out to him and asks him for more reports. Christopher Steele would later tell the Inspector General that he only supplied one report to Gaeta up to that point. However, Gaeta had received another report from Steele on July 19th, so Christopher Steele lied to the Inspector General. On August 17th, The Crossfire Hurricane team is notified that Carter Page was an operational contact for another agency, likely the CIA. The Inspector General would be unable to find any evidence suggesting that the FBI ever followed up with the other agency to request additional information before applying for a FISA warrant on Carter Page. This information was not included in the FISA applications. I think this piece of information is really important to remember as well as everything else that we've discussed. It's crucial. You didn't do your job and reach out to this other agency that you knew he was working for. You you knew he was an operational contact. So could it be possible that his foreign contacts, the things that he was doing outside of the country, could be tied to his work for the other agency? 
highly likely. So you probably should have reached out to the other agency to ask questions. You probably should have included that information when you were applying for the FISA warrant, but you didn't because you knew it would be denied. Same day, the Trump campaign receives a briefing by the office or the ODNI, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, on foreign threats. The Inspector General report notes that that meeting was attended by Pienka, the FBI agent, because General Flynn was in attendance. The meeting was seen by the FBI as an opportunity to gain information for both of its investigations. On August 18th, documents in- implicating Manafort are published by the Ukrainian anti-corruption agency, NABU. That next day, Serhii or he or whatever, Lyshenko, holds a press conference regarding the NABU documents that reference Manafort. Lyshenko is cited as a source for several individuals, including Michael Isakoff and DNC operative Alexandra Chalupa. Keep in mind, as you're listening to this, let's go back. I don't know if you're taking notes or not, but let's go back to the beginning of this. Alexandra Chalupa, before Paul Manafort is even named to the Trump campaign, Alexandra Chalupa is already discussing and and dropping hints of information to Michael Isakoff, who's putting reporting out that Trump and campaign officials are somehow tied to Russia. So it turns out that Lyshenko was the source for Chalupa and in turn Michael Isakoff. Nellie Orr would later testify before Congress. Nellie Orr, who worked for Fusion GPS, would testify before Congress that Lyshenko served as a source of information for Fusion GPS as well. For his part, Lyshenko would later say that he didn't remember ever meeting with either Nellie Orr or any member of Fusion GPS. So that question then becomes, was Lyshenko giving information to Chalupa and Chalupa was feeding information to Nellie Orr or to Fusion GPS and that's how that became part of it? I don't know. It's It's all so incestuous at this point that it's disgusting. On August 19th, Paul Manafort resigns from the Trump campaign following media reports regarding his past lobbying work for pro-Russian Ukrainian oligarchs. In the New York Times report that Manafort's name appeared in a handwritten Ukrainian ledger allegedly detailing secret cash payments. So, he's been on the Trump campaign for two months. He's gone. Carter Page has a consensually recorded meeting with Stefan Halper. Page's denial of ever having had contact with Manafort are not shared with the Office of Intelligence Attorneys and would be omitted from the Carter Page FISA application by the FBI. So it's almost like the omissions are even worse than the the FISA application in the first place. You're leaving out crucial details and information to, to try to achieve an end that It's wrong. It's so wrong. On August 22nd, Glenn Simpson provides Bruce Orr with the name of three individuals who Glenn Simpson thought were potential intermediaries between Russia and the Trump campaign. One of the three names provided by Simpson was one of the subsources in Steele's election reports, referred to on the Inspector General report as, quote, person one. So I just want to tie this again. I know this gets tedious to have to keep going back, but Fusion GPS, hired by Perkins Coy, paid for by DNC and Hillary Clinton's campaign, working with former MI6 agent, uses information from the MI6 agent and Fusion GPS and gives that information to Department of Justice official Bruce Orr, who, conveniently enough, a matter of days later speaks with uh, Gaeta, likely about his meeting with Glenn Simpson, but neither Gaeta nor Orr could later recall what was discussed in that conversation. 
They never can recall anything that was discussed or having meetings. I don't know how these people even had calendars. Like, oh, I, I had a meeting with somebody? I didn't know I had a meeting with anybody. It's, it's crazy. Um, backtracking just a little bit, though, on August 22nd, the Department of Justice's Offices of Intelligence tells the FBI that it hasn't presented enough information to support a FISA application on Carter Page, according to Soma's notes. Fast forward, August 25th, John Brennan begins briefing members of the Gang of Eight on the FBI's counterintelligence investigation. Who is the Gang of Eight? The Gang of Eight is, I'm sure many of you already know, but just for people who don't, it's a term for, it's I guess colloquial, for the bipartisan group of senators who are briefed on classified intelligence by the executive branch. It's made up of eight um, senators, four Republicans, four Democrats. So Brennan begins briefing them, has, I guess, a series of meetings in August and September of 2016. Interestingly enough, John Brennan briefs Harry Reid separately from the other Gang of Eight members. On August 25th, that same day, a briefing about Page's August 20th meeting with Stefan Halper is given to Andrew McCabe, Bill Priestap, Peter Strzok, and Anderson, then FBI General Counsel James Baker, and other FBI personnel. So on August 25th, McCabe asks Pianka to contact the New York field office about information that potentially could assist the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Instant messages show that Pianka complied with McCabe's request, but McCabe would later claim to the IG he didn't recall making that request. Ugh. Two days later, Hillary Clinton and her selected advisors are given a strategic intelligence briefing by the ODNI. The FBI participates in that briefing with Pianka, providing the FBI security briefings. On August 27th, Brennan's briefing prompts Reed, Harry Reid, to write two letters to James Comey. Both of those letters demand that Comey commence an investigation, with the details to be made public. Reed's first letter, which touches on Carter Page, is sent on this date. Reed's second letter, which apparently is far angrier and declaring Comey to be in possession of material information, is dated October 30th. Late August, the FBI receives correspondence from, quote, members of Congress. That describes information included in the Steele reports. And besides Senator Harry Reid, who sent the FBI letter on August 27th, it's still unclear who the other members of Congress were that were involved in the writing of this letter. September 1st, Stefan Halper consensually meets with a high-level official in the Trump campaign, who is not a subject of the FBI's investigation, to get information on how Carter Page and Papadopoulos joined the campaign. On September 2nd, the ODNI gives a second briefing to Donald Trump, Michael Flynn, and another campaign advisor. The FBI does not attend, but does inquire about doing so. On that same day, so September 2nd, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok exchanged texts regarding a briefing to Comey in advance of Comey's briefing to the Obama White House. Lisa tells Peter in one of the text messages, yes, because POTUS wants to know everything we are doing, which to me is a clear indicator that Barack Obama knew everything that was going on at this point. On September 2nd, also, Gata asked the Associate Division Counsel and Counterintelligence Supervisor at the New York Field Office to tell him who should receive the Steele reports at the FBI headquarters. On September 4th, so two days later, Peter Strzok is promoted to Deputy Assistant Director of the Counterintelligence Division's Operations Branch. One day later, Hillary Clinton accuses Russia of interfering with the U.S. election. On September 12th, Bruce Orr and Gaeta exchange emails regarding Christopher Steele, 
and Gaeta tells Orr that an FBI team was looking into Steele's information. Bruce Orr asks Gaeta to let him know whom to contact with additional information. Gaeta would later say that he did not respond to this question. The next day, Pianka emails Gaeta telling him how to upload the Steele reports. On September 14th, Christopher Steele writes three memos. In advance of his meeting with the FBI in Rome in early October of 2016, according to the Inspector General report, Steele does not provide the FBI with reports 112 and 113. It's not entirely clear from the Inspector General report when report 111 was provided to the FBI. Following the November presidential election, uh, Mother Jones reporter David Korn provides Baker with nine Steele reports, three of which hadn't been previously given to the FBI by Steele. One of the memos Steele writes on this day relates to allegations regarding Alpha Bank. So real quick, David Korn and uh, Mother Jones. Mother Jones is a publication by the Foundation for National Progress out of San Francisco, California. And David Korn is the chief of the Washington Bureau for Mother Jones. On September 15th, Papadopoulos meets with Stefan Halper in London. At that time, he tells Halper he denies that the Trump campaign is colluding with Russia or WikiLeaks in the release of the emails. The FBI would omit Papadopoulos' denials from Carter Page's FISA application. In mid-September, Andrew McCabe tells Pianka not to have any further contact with former confidential human source who reached out to the FBI in late July and appeared to have personal knowledge regarding Steele's election reporting. So remember when I told you earlier, that guy that called in, or that source guy, you don't know if it's guy or girl, the source that called in and and Andrew McCabe said, you're no longer allowed to have contact with those individuals. McCabe later told the inspector general he didn't remember giving Pianka those instructions. Sometime in mid or late September, John Brennan, Jim Comey, and DNI director James Clapper begin working on three reports on alleged Russian interference. On September 19th, Gaeta emails six Steele reports. So it's important to remember the numbers, okay? So report 80, 94, 95, 100, 101, and 102 to Pianka at FBI headquarters. The memo 112 that we talked about earlier containing the Alpha Bank allegations is not among these memos. And I think it's important to remember and to note here that the correspondence regarding Alpha Bank was provided by Perkins Coy attorney Michael Sussman to Christopher Steele. On September 19th, the Crossfire Hurricane team obtains those Steele reports. And according to the Inspector General, the receipt of Steele's election reporting on September 19th played a central and essential role in the FBI's and department's decision to seek the FISA order. So at this moment in time, when Crossfire Hurricane receives these memos, this is a crucial moment when they decide to to seek a FISA order against Carter Page. Pienka emails Soma asking for a source characterization statement, among other information, on Steele. On September 19th, the Crossfire Hurricane team contacts the FBI's Office of General Counsel about obtaining a FISA warrant to spy on Carter Page. What is a FISA warrant supposed to be used for? To spy on foreign individuals, not American citizens within the United States. So on that same day that the Crossfire Hurricane team contacts the General Counsel about obtaining a FISA warrant, James Baker, who is the FBI General Counsel has a meeting with Perkins Coy attorney Michael Sussman, who provides 
Baker with documents alleging communication between the Trump Organization and the Russian Alpha Bank server. Now remember, Michael Sussman with Perkins Coy is paid for and represents, paid by, sorry, not for, and represents the DNC and the Hillary Clinton campaign. They are providing information now to the FBI General Counsel about Trump Organization and the Russian Alpha Bank server. A day later, the Crossfire Hurricane team drafts an intelligence memorandum summarizing key points from the six steel reports that they had received that the day before. The next day, the FBI's Office of General Counsel advises the Department of Justice's Office of Intelligence that the FBI is ready to submit a FISA request on Carter Page. That same day, an OGC attorney requests and obtain a same-day meeting with the Office of Intelligence to discuss a FISA on Carter Page. The Steele reports push the FISA request over the approval line. The Office of Intelligence unit chief would later tell the Inspector General that, quote, without the steel reporting concerning Carter Page, the unit chief would not have thought they could establish probable cause based on the other information the FBI presented at that time. In other words, Page's historical contacts with Russia. So I firmly believe that the rumor that was stated as fact in Christopher Steele's documents that he had met with the two individuals that were high-ranking officials in Russia, I don't believe that this FISA warrant would have ever been approved. On September 22nd, the Office of General Counsel submits a FISA request form to the Office of Intelligence after the OI unit chief assigns a line attorney to work on the Carter Page FISA. The FISA request, which claims that Carter Page is believed to be an agent of a foreign power, was not robust and drew almost entirely from Steele's reporting. That same day, FBI's Office of General Counsel unit chief told SOMA, we need a little bit more on Christopher Steele. As... The Carter Page FISA was essentially a single-source FISA. Notably, the final language used in the Carter Page FISA to describe Steele's reliability was not approved by Christopher Steele's handling agent, Gaeta, which is required. Soma would tell the Inspector General that he was not aware of this requirement. Gaeta would tell the Inspector General that only some of Steele's past reporting had been corroborated and most of it had not. Gaeta also states that Steele's reporting had never been used in a criminal proceeding. That same day, Christopher Steele meets with Perkins Coy attorney Mark Elias. The House Intelligence Committee's March 2018 report on Russia active measures would note that Perkins Coy was aware of Steele's contacts with the media. On September 23rd, Gator provides Soma with a statement on Christopher Steele. Notably, this statement differs from the one that would be used in the Page FISA application, and the final language used in the FISA application would not be approved. So think about what that's saying. So Gator is the handling agent for Christopher Steele. He's the one that's been dealing with this informant the entire time. He issues a statement to Soma about Christopher Steele because he's been handling him this entire time. That statement is somewhere in, in the application for the FISA warrant. That language is changed, and that language was never approved by Gaeta. The Department of Justice Office of Intelligence Attorney begins working on preparing the FISA application and sends the first set of questions back to the Office of General Counsel Attorney that same day. Early drafts of the FISA application would be shared with the Office of Intelligence 
and National Security Division Management on October 5th and October 6th. On September 23rd, so that same day, Michael Isakoff publishes an article about Carter Page headlined, U.S. Intel Officials Probe Ties Between Trump Advisor and Kremlin. Steele is the source for Isakoff, although the FBI would state the opposite in its FISA application on Carter Page. That same day, Politico publishes the article, Who is Carter Page? The Mystery of Trump's Man in Moscow. This was published by Julia Ioff. Julia Ioff is a Russian-born American, quote, journalist who covers national security and foreign policy. She appears in publications for Washington Post, New York Times, The New Yorker, Bloomberg, Politico, and, quote, The New Republic. The article appears to highlight efforts by Fusion GPS to influence media reporting. The article also mentions Alpha Bank. On that same day, a lot happened on September 23rd, Bruce Orr again meets with Christopher Steele, who provides Orr with additional information on Manafort, Russian oligarch Deripaska, and Alpha Bank. Steele would later tell the Inspector General that he expressed concerns that if Trump won the election, his source network might be in jeopardy. He would tell the Inspector General he was concerned over the possible appointment of a new FBI director and new agency heads who would have a higher degree of loyalty to the new president and that he asked why the U.S. government was not addressing his election reporting. It's fascinating to me that an MI6 agent is probing a DOJ official on why the U.S. government isn't acting on his intelligence more. So on or about that same day, Christopher Steele briefs reporters from the New York Times, the Washington Post, Yahoo News, the New Yorker, and CNN at Fusion GPS's instruction while in New York. So as he's being treated as an informant for the FBI, he's also being instructed by Fusion GPS to give the same information that he's giving to the FBI to those news publications. Around that same time, he met with State Department employee Jonathan Weiner. And remember who Jonathan Weiner is. He was the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for International Law Enforcement and the former Special Envoy for Libya during the Obama administration. And like Simpson, Weiner declined to be interviewed by the Inspector General. So Glenn Simpson with Fusion GPS declined and refused to be interviewed. So did Jonathan Weiner. And on September 24th, so one day later, Nellie Orr leaves Fusion GPS after conducting research on Trump and his family. At the end of September, Nellie Orr provides Bruce Orr with all of her Fusion GPS research, who in turn provides it to the FBI. On September 25th, Carter Page sends a letter directly to FBI Director James Comey, denies the allegations contained in the Yahoo News article, and he volunteers to discuss any questions the FBI might have. On September 26th, Carter Page leaves the Donald Trump campaign. That same day, Carter Page gives a media interview and again denies the allegations contained in the Yahoo News article. Also that same day, National Security Division head John Carlin files the government's proposed 2016 Section 702 certifications, which are submitted to the FISA court. Carlin knows the general status of the compliance review by Rogers. The NSD is part of that review. In the NSD's 2016 certification, Carlin fails to disclose a critical January 2016 report by the NSA Inspector General 
and associated FISA abuse. Carlin also fails to disclose Roger's ongoing Section 702 compliance review. The next day, he announces his resignation as head of the NSD. His resignation will become effective on October 15th of 2016. On September 27th, Pianka requests that Gaeta participate in a video conference call with the Crossfire Hurricane team to set up a meeting with Christopher Steele. And on the next day, September 28th, James Comey refuses to answer whether the FBI is investigating possible connections between members of the Trump campaign and Russia during an oversight hearing of the FBI's operations. Hang with me, folks. We're almost there. On September 28th, the Office of Intelligence Attorney emails Soma asking about Carter Page's claim that he had provided information to the CIA. Soma tells the Office of Intelligence that it was a, quote, years ago, and quote, outside scope. Based largely on this, the information was not included in the Page FISA. On September 30th, in an email, the Office of Intelligence Attorney asks Soma why Steele's information was reliable if it relied on second and third-hand sources. The Office Intelligence Attorney would later be be briefed by the Crossfire Hurricane team on the subsources and would be ultimately satisfied. However, in early 2017, the primary subsource would dispute many of Steele's claims. Is that disturbing to anyone else? So I just tell you who the subsources are and then you're satisfied. But nobody ever thought to ask the subsources whether or not the information was accurate. I feel like that's a big deal. On September 30th, so same day, Pianka's notes from a meeting on this date indicate the FBI was aware of Steele's contact with reporters. And on that same day, Pianka is forwarded an email that indicates senior State Department staff, including Assistant Secretary Victoria Newland, are aware that the FBI will have a meeting with Steele in Rome in October. On September 30th, the FBI submits an expedited FISA application on Carter Page that seeks to have the FISA court waive the requirement in its rules of procedure that the government submit a proposed application no later than seven days before it seeks to have the matter considered by the FISA court. In early October, three days prior to meeting with members of the Crossfire Hurricane team in Rome, Steele tells Gaeta that Jonathan Weiner at the State Department is aware of this pending meeting. In early October also, members of the Crossfire Hurricane team meet with Steele and Gaeta in Rome. Steele informs the FBI he has also provided information to the State Department. The FBI offers to pay Steele $15,000 for this trip, but would later decline to pay this amount after learning that Steele had disclosed information to Mother Jones reporter David Korn. Case Agent 2 provides Steele with an overview of the FBI's investigation and likely discloses classified information at that meeting. Steele would inform Glenn Simpson of the content of this information. So you have MI6 agent giving information to the FBI, MI6 agent giving information to Fusion GPS, which is giving information to Perkins Coy, which is giving information to the DNC. But then you have FBI giving in turn information back to Christopher Steele, who then takes that information back to GPS, back to Perkins Coy. It's, <clears throat> it's just fascinating to me. Around this same time, there's a footnote that's unredacted on um, notes that a document detailing the early October meeting with Steele, person one, as we knew from earlier, had his 
had historical contact with persons and entities suspected of being linked to Russian intelligence services, and Person 1 was also rumored to be a former KGB officer. The document was circulated among Crossfire Hurricane members and supervisors. Also, in October, Christopher Steele has a second meeting with attorney Mark Elias from Perkins Coy. So this is the third time that Steele, at least that we know of, that Steele met with a senior Perkins Coy lawyer. So now we're just cutting Fusion GPS out of it. We're just meeting directly with the DNC's lawyers at this point. On October 4th, a follow-up FISA hearing on the Section 702 certification is held. Carlin fails again to disclose the FISA to the FISA court, a critical report by the NSA IG and associated FISA abuse. Carlin also fails to disclose Roger's ongoing Section 702 compliance review. This would later be noted by the FISA court. On October 5th, the first draft of the Carter Page FISA application is shared with the Office of Intelligence. October 6th, the first draft of the Page FISA application is shared with Evans of the NSD and Baker and Anderson of the FBI for review. So Evans is Stu Evans, which was the Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the National Security Division. According to the Inspector General report, Anderson received the draft at this time, but did not read it until two weeks later. It is on October 7th that Homeland Security and the ODNI officially accused the Russian government of hacking the DNC to interfere with the U.S. election process. Four days later, on October 11th, Christopher Steele meets with State Department employee Jonathan Weiner and Kathleen Kavalek. Kathleen Kavalek is the Deputy Assistant Secretary in the Bureau of European Affairs at the Department of State. Also in that meeting that Steele has, uh, Victoria Newland, which is Kavalek's boss, is aware of the meeting, but she does not attend. Steele told the inspector general that he was delayed at the airport and that Newland left before he arrived. On or about the same date, Weiner provides Christopher Steele with a separate dossier that he had received from longtime Clinton confidant Sidney Blumenthal. This second dossier has been compiled by another longtime Clinton operative, former journalist Cody Shearer. Remember, we talked about him earlier. And it echoed claims made in the Steele dossier. Steele would then share this second dossier with the FBI on October 19th. That same day, after several previous requests for information, Evans is informed for the first time that Steele had been paid to develop political opposition research by Fusion GPS. Remember, Stu Evans was excluded from that meeting with the FBI and the Department of Justice that was that notified them of the Crossfire Hurricane investigation, if that's what you want to call it. So this is the first time that he found out that Steele is a paid operative for opposition research because he was excluded from that original meeting. On October 11th, An initial draft of the Carter Page FISA is created that indicates Steele had leaked information to Yahoo News, stating that the FBI, quote, believes the well-placed Western intelligence source is Christopher Steele. This language would be abruptly changed three days later. On or about October 12th, the Office of Intelligence Attorney receives a written summary from the supervisory intel analyst of the FBI's early October meeting with Steele that attributed the information in Report 95 to Person 1 and stated that Steele had described Person 1 as a boaster and embellisher. 
At this time, person one was the subject of an open FBI counterintelligence investigation and had historical contact with persons and entities suspected of being linked to Russian intelligence services. This information was not disclosed to the FISA court or to Stu Evans. On October 12th, McCabe and Comey are briefed regarding Evans's concerns about Steele. Both are supportive of moving forward despite Evans's concerns, and according to a newly unredacted footnote from the Inspector General's report, the desire to have FISA authority in place before Monday, October 17th, was due, at least in part, to the fact that Carter Page was expected to travel to the United Kingdom and South Africa shortly thereafter. Between October 12th and 14th, during that three-day period, the FBI team advises Evans further on Steele, telling him that Steele was hired by Glenn Simpson of Fusion GPS, they did not know Simpson's motivations, and they did not know the name of the law firm that retained Fusion GPS or its connections to Hillary Clinton or the Democratic party because Steele did not believe asking Simpson about his client was appropriate, even though Steele had met multiple times with Perkins Coy at this point. In mid-October, Christopher Steele meets again with the media, providing information to the New York Times, the Washington Post, and Yahoo News. Also, at that same time, uh, Director Clapper submits a recommendation to the White House that Rogers be removed from the NSA. The request, however, is denied. Why do you think he was asking Rogers to be removed? Because Rogers was investigating the 702 compliance or lack thereof. So on October 13th, Kavalek emails an FBI counterintelligence division section chief a document that she received from Weiner concerning allegations about a linkage between Alpha Bank and the Trump campaign. The section chief forwards the document to Pianka the same day. On October 14th, the Office of the Deputy Attorney General receives the FBI's initial FISA application on Carter Page. So we are all the way to October 14th, and we're just now actually submitting a FISA warrant on Carter Page. But yet, how how long up to this point have we heard from the United States media, collusion, 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 Donald Trump is working with the Russians? On October 14th, same day, Case Agent 2 sends an email stating that Gata believes Christopher Steele didn't know the identity of Fusion GPS's client Perkins Coy, but this information appears outdated. Steele had met with Perkins Coy attorney, which had retained Fusion GPS, which in turn hired Steele on behalf of the Clinton campaign on September 23rd of 2016. Same day, the NSD's Principal Deputy Assistant Attorney General, Mary McCord, receives the Carter Page FISA for review. McCord, who provided comments on the draft, would tell the Inspector General that filing the application was a legitimate investigative step, even though it may later be criticized unfairly. McCord would replace John Carlin as Assistant Attorney General of the NSD on October 17th of 2000. Same day, language in the draft of the page FISA, which indicates that Steele had leaked to Yahoo News, is suddenly changed. The new language reads, The FBI also assesses that whoever gave the information to the press stated that the information was provided by a, quote, well-placed Western intelligence source. The FBI does not believe that source number one directly provided this information to the press. According to the IG report, 
Nobody would later seem to recall why this change had been had been made or had occurred. Uh, October 14th, Carlin leaves the NSD six days before the Page FISA is filed with the FISA court. Three days later, Carter Page has a meeting with FBI Confidential Human Source 2, Stefan Halper. Page tells the source that he never met with any sanctioned Russian officials and that he knew nothing of the WikiLeaks DNC email leaks. This is the second time that he's done this. This information, just like prior statements by Page, would be excluded from the FISA application. On October 17th as well, instant messages show that Pienka is now aware of Carter Page's denials regarding Steele's claims that Page met with Sachin and Dievkin, and that Page denied even knowing Dievkin. This information, however, would be excluded from the FISA application. One day later, on October 18th, Bruce Orr meets again with Christopher Steele, this time via a video call. According to an email from Steele, the call includes a discussion regarding Deripaska. Following this meeting, Orr meets with Andrew McCabe to share the information from Steele. Lisa Page is also present at this meeting. Orr would tell the Inspector General he met only this one time with McCabe during 2016, a statement the Inspector General believes to be accurate. As the Inspector General report notes, this is in contrast to Orr's testimony during which Orr would state that he met with McCabe shortly after his July breakfast meeting with Christopher Steele. The Office of Intelligence finalizes, this is on October 19th, I'm sorry, the Office of Intelligence finalizes the Page FISA application and sends it to the FBI for review. Strzok tells Stu Evans that the FBI is comfortable with its accuracy. Separately, Evans is notified that Deputy Attorney General Yates has read the FISA application. The Office of Intelligence would file the application with the FISA court the following day. So that same day, Steele gives Gaeta the report that was written by Cody Shearer, which Weiner had given to him, and Weiner had obtained the report from the longtime Clinton confidant Sidney Blumenthal. On October 20th, a Steele memo erroneously states that Michael Cohen met with Kremlin officials in the European Union in August of 2016. A later memo by Steele would claim the meeting occurred in Prague. On October 20th, the Office of Intelligence submits the read copy of the Page FISA application to the FISA court and receives feedback from the FISA court legal advisor, who has four relatively minor questions. According to the Inspector General report, FISA court legal advisor raised no other issues and did not further question the application's reliance on Steele's reporting. So case agent one, Soma, and Pienka perform a factual accuracy review of the Woods file. Woods file is a series of documents that's supposed to contain the underlying facts supporting a FISA application. Pienka would tell the inspector general that he relied on Soma to highlight each relevant fact in the Woods file. Upon completion, Soma and Pienka signed the Woods form affirming the verification and documentation of each factual assertion in the application. The Inspector General would note that a number of facts asserted in the FISA did not have supporting documentation in the Woods file. The FISA application is passed to the Headquarters Program Manager, a supervisory special agent in the Counterintelligence Division's counter-espionage section. The application is then passed to the OGC attorney and Anderson, who reviews the application package on behalf of the FBI's Office of General Counsel. Comey approves and signs the FISA package that same day. Rogers is briefed by the NSA compliance officer on findings from the NSA 702 compliance audit. The audit had uncovered a large number of issues, including 
including numerous, quote, about query violations. About query searches occur when the target is neither the sender nor the recipient of the collected communication, but the target's task selector, such as an email address, is being passed between two other communicants. On October 21st, Deputy Attorney General Yates signs the FISA application package. Yates would tell the Inspector General that she didn't recall the discussion that took place during the oral briefing on the FISA. You don't recall the conversation, but you signed it. On the same day, the NSD submits the finalized Page FISA application asserting that there was probable cause to believe that Carter Page was an agent of the Russian government to the FISA court, which issues a FISA warrant to spy on Page the same day. The order is signed by then-chief judge of the FISA court, Rosemary Collier. According to NSD, the chief judge signed the final orders as proposed by the government in their entirety without holding a hearing. Three FISA renewals would occur on January 12th, April 7th, and June 29th of 2017. On or about October 21st, NSA Director Rogers shuts down all about query activity reports this activity to the DOJ, and prepares to go before the FISA court. On October 24th, Rogers verbally informs the FISA court of Section 702 violations. So remember, Carlin withheld all of that information from the FISA court. And now, Rogers verbally informs the FISA court of the violations. On October 26th, Rogers formally informs the FISA court of Section 027 violations in writing. That same day, October 26th, the FISA court refuses to formalize the 2016 Section 702 certifications. A complete overhaul of Section 702 processes ensues. On November 1st, Steele admits to GATA that he spoke with Korn, who used the information in his October 2016 article, Gaeta advises Steele that his relationship with the FBI will likely be terminated. The FBI, however, appears to have been aware on September 30th that Steele was a source for Isakoff's Yahoo News article. Following Steele's November termination, the FBI would continue to use Bruce Orr's meetings with Christopher Steele, which continued into November of 2017 to obtain information. So the FBI didn't keep Christopher Steele on. They worked through Bruce Orr working with Christopher Steele. I, that is the end of our story today, folks, but I, I cannot express to you enough how critical it is that our government used a foreign spy bought and paid for by an opposing political campaign and no corroboration on any of the evidence that was provided to spy on an official that was part of that opposing presidential campaign. So I I feel like there are a lot of reforms that need to be made. Right now there's a lot of stuff going on in Congress regarding FISA, Patriot Act, amendments that need to be passed. I highly encourage you to take an active approach to your government. Stop allowing our bureaucratic divisions of intelligence, uh, our ambassadorships, to think that they run this country because they don't. They are not elected officials. They do not represent the people of this country. They represent their own special interests. We have to be more engaged. We have to be more educated about the things that are taking place behind the scenes. Before I let you guys go, I always think it's important to source my information, let you guys know where I got it. The timeline and much of the information regarding when things took place 
came from the reporting of the Epic Times. So I highly encourage if that's not a publication that you subscribe to or read anything from, check them out. They're very, very good about accuracy. Lastly, uh, the actual Inspector General's report from Michael Horowitz. So thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And please subscribe to your favorite channel. We have pushed out to iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, wherever you like to get your podcast information, please go out and subscribe there. So you'll see anytime we have a new episode come up. We have a lot of stuff packed into the next couple weeks. I am very excited about this content that we have coming to you guys. Please subscribe and let me know your thoughts. Shoot me an email. Give me a call. Let me know what you think.